It was one of the first few apartments, not first few, but it was one of the first apartments that we ever had. I was young. I was in my early 20s. And the Lord had started to stir in my heart, first to come to him. I was an atheist all of my life. And then the Lord started to draw me to himself. And then I heard a pastor, and he preached that if you feed the hungry, clothe the naked, house the homeless, that Jesus, visit the imprisoned, that Jesus takes it personal. That he, it's as if you're doing it for Jesus. But I was new in Christianity, and I did not know that nobody does what the pastor says. I did not know that. So I was like, oh, I started to invite my friends, homeless people, addicted people, people who were on a run. I would invite them and we would sleep on the floor. My wife and our kids would sleep in uh, her bed, in our bed. And I would sleep on the floor and we would wake up at like 4.30 in the morning and pray and then they would go off and go about their day and I would go to work. And my landlord saw that. She lived next door. And I, I don't know what she thought, but she never told me. But she immediately started to be uh, mean-spirited and then it got worse than that. She started to regulate the heat in a way that it was really cold in the apartment. She started, she came uh, up to us and said because it was a private building, she was raising our rent $100. She did that three months in a row, and I made almost nothing. And I didn't know about, I didn't know that, you know, any, uh, any uh, recourse that you could take with the courts. I grew up, I'm Puerto Rican, the last thing you do is call the cops or go to a court. It's just not something we do. And so I was there. And I started to get a hate for this woman and the injustice that I was experiencing. I started to think of really awful, terrible things that I would do to both her and her husband. And it only started to grow. I wonder if I'm the only one who's ever been in a situation where you've been so mad that your anger started to take root in your heart and started to color the way you see people, make you want to do things in your brain that you can't legally do outside of your brain? I don't know. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I imagine that if you're older than three, that you've probably had a situation, maybe it was with a person who said that they would love you forever. And then they behaved in ways that wasn't congruent with that desire. Maybe, maybe you had a boss and you were there and you were faithful and you, were, and you worked hard and then layoffs came and it was like no big deal. Pink slip. Maybe, maybe it was someone at your work, or maybe it was someone in your family, 
But each one of us know the pain of being confronted with an injustice, something wrong being done to us, and a rage and a bitterness and an anger swelling up in our hearts. Here's what I know. If that's ever happened to you, we have a name for you. It's called being human. Every one of us have experienced that. But here's the thing. If everyone has experienced that, is there anything that God's word would offer those of us who have to deal with anger? For some of us, the thing that happened to us was much earlier on in life and we've forgotten about the thing that we're angry about. We just walk around angry. We've been in a series. It's called um, Modern Problems, Ancient Solutions. How the gospel helps us or addresses or heals our difficult emotions. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about shame and how there's a corrosive aspect to shame, but it's not all corrosive. It's also there's a, a part of shame that draws you to God and that God can use to draw you to himself. If you're confused about that statement, I encourage you to go back and on our website and listen to the um, listen to uh, the messages for the last two weeks about shame. Now, this week, we're going to do about two weeks on anger. And we need it. I mean, I don't know about you. Have you ever had a friend? Have you ever been a friend who comes into a situation and you walk into the room and you're like, you and them, and I can't believe you guys did that. And it's like, what is going on? Why is this person, I, didn't, I haven't done it. All I did was say, how was your day at work? And it's just this incredible explosion of anger. And you don't know how to deal with it. Listen, I want us to learn how to deal with our anger. Even the anger that has been with us since we were really young. Because the fact is, is that God wants to speak to us even through our anger. Today, we're going to look at a passage of a people who experienced a deep, deep injustice and how they responded to their anger. I want you to see it. It's in Psalm 137. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? So here's the context. The people of Israel have been destroyed and taken captive. There was a bigger, stronger army. In this case, it was Babylon. And then there was a smaller nation. In this case, it was Israel. And the bigger, stronger army came in and abused and raped and murdered and pillaged and destroyed these people. And with all the rage and the anger in the world, these people are now in a different country. They've been literally exiled from where they grew up and 
And there's one person, a musician, in fact. He starts to write about what he and maybe everyone else has felt. It's in that, with that in mind, that we read our text, Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundation. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. That's angry. This ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. This is not a little bit angry. This is not fake angry. This is not, um, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just a little miffed. This is a full-on anger that has to be dealt with. But the question is, how then? Because we're gonna have moments like this. We're going to have moments of injustice, whether in our society or personally experienced. You and I are going to go through life with things that we wish had not and did not happen. How do we deal with our anger? And the psalmist gives us, psalmist gives us three things that he does with his anger. Three things on, in this text on how he handles his rage. So let's look at them. Now, in your bulletin, what you're going to find is what we call a sermon map. Now, if you don't have it, yep, shake it up at me if you have it. If you don't have it, what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hand and we'll give you a sermon map. Or if you need a pencil, we have these little pencils that you could write with if you don't have anything to write with. Okay, so nice and high. Okay, we have two over here, three. Someone's going to come. Keep your hand up. Someone's going to come, and, uh, and then I think we have one over here. Great. Thank you. Yep, we have one over here as well. Fantastic. Okay. So, while we're passing out the pencils and making sure that everybody's set up, I want you to write down what you... Um, what we speak about. And the reason is, is because some of the lessons that you're going to learn today, you're going to have to go back to. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, 
The shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. So, so write this down. Here's three things the psalmist does with anger. Three things the psalmist does with anger is, the first one is he owns it. He owns it. Do you see that in verse 3? By the rivers of Babylon, I mean verses 1 through 3, actually 1 through 6. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. If you've been a Christian long enough, you find, we find that we think that anger is not something we're allowed to feel. Like it's something wrong. But the scriptures warn us that this is not the step that we should take. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says this, Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but sin not. You see, the problem is not with being angry. The problem is what you do with your anger. But you can't do anything with your anger other than act out, explode, and be a general toxic person towards everyone around you if you don't own your anger. Coming up to someone, I can't tell you how many times This has happened where it's like, wow, you must be so angry at this. And someone will tell me, I'm not angry. No, 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 no. You should be. If you're not, let's, good. Now we know where our counseling session is going to go today. Because I'm going to help you be angry. But we got to own it. There's a sense where if we don't own our anger, it'll own us. And I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Some of us right now, the reason that we're still actively using is an issue of anger. For some of us, not all of us, not all of us, not all of us. Somebody say, not all of us. Not all of us. Some of us, the reason that we're still single is because we're angry. The reason that he left is because we're angry. The reason why she is no longer with you anymore is because we're angry. The reason that we find that we can only have a friend for a year or a year or two really close to us is because we're angry. We're walking around with toxic anger and we don't even know it. Own your anger. There's a sense where if we don't, it'll own us. Where we think it's always wrong to deny, it's, or rather, where we think it's always right to deny our anger. I'm telling you, it's always wrong to deny your anger. You'll never, ever find the healing that, you're desperate, that your anger desperately needs if you don't own your anger. Now, it's always wrong to deny your anger, but it's, often wrong to be unable to be angry. Listen to me. If you see on the news a group of people with authority and power shoot down someone with no authority and power and they hide 
behind a position or a badge and you're not angry, you're not walking, you're not walking in submission to the Lord because that's something to be angry about. If you see people who are starving in places that should not be starving while we throw away half our food and you're not angry, you're, it's, it's often wrong not to be angry in moments like that. If you see single mothers having to take the role of papi and mommy in the home while working a full-time job and then coming home and trying to make it, if you're not angry at that. See, there's reasons for us to be angry. And if we deny or smother or act like anger doesn't exist or it's always, always, always bad, then we miss out on a key issue that God is putting in our heart to perhaps give us our our marching orders for the next thing that we ought to do. Anger is always wrong. It's always wrong to deny our anger. And it's often wrong to be unable to be angry. But what's anger all about? Anger is about something bad threatening Something that is good. That's what anger is all about. Is you have something bad threatening something good. Something that you perceive as good. It's why we can get so angry at someone trying to come in in between our relationship. We can get angry at a co-worker who's trying to remove us from our position with lies and gossip and things like that. Anger is something bad trying to get or trying to destroy something that is good. If we don't own it, it will own us. What are you angry about? Do you have it in your mind? I literally want you to think about that. What? are you angry about? Okay. I have another question for you. It's really, really important. Do you have the thing that you're angry about in your mind? Is it there? You got it? Okay. Okay. What's the other thing you're angry about? You can write it down. You can just commit it to me. But listen to me. Whatever I, I just want you to own it. It's there. I'm really angry about this. I'm not so spiritual that this doesn't mean anything. I'm not so spiritual that this doesn't affect me. I am angry. Okay. Step one. Own it. We see the psalmist do it. But he doesn't just own it. The second thing that psalmist does is he prays it. And this is where we go wrong with our anger. If we just own it and just own it and just own it, we find out that it poisons us, hurts the relationships around us, keeps us 
from the peace and the joy that God wants for us and in fact separates us from the very love that God wants to give us. He owns his anger, but he also prays his anger. Do you see it in verse 7? He goes, Lord. Do you see that? In verse 7, he goes, well, the entire text says, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. He goes, Lord. He's not keeping his anger to himself. He's not just allowing his anger to sit with him. But he gives it to God. There's an outlet. God, you are big and you are strong. You are able. I'm not the only one who's angry about this. God, you're angry about this. He prays his anger. Praying your anger is about a mother would be holding a baby and they would grab that baby and they would smash that baby's head against a wall or a rock on the floor. And so when this psalmist is praying, he's not holding anything back. If you've never prayed like this, you've probably lived a very charmed life. Nothing really bad has ever happened to you. But if you've ever had real, real, like real, real bad stuff happen to you, you know what it's like to pray that someone get what they gave you. And that's what he's doing. And he's not filtering himself. He's not saying, this is too, this is too bad. See, the problem is, is that we, we're not real Christians. We don't believe that Jesus can actually deal with all of who we are. We believe that we have to put on a face. I've talked to so many people who have gone through so many situations, and I go, man, you shouldn't be this calm. There should be more to it. This is very heavy. And they're not being calm because they trust in Jesus. That's a different. I've visited people in the hospital who have, um, who have really shamed me in terms of like how they trust Jesus in some of the darkest circumstances. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about pretending like it's not there and therefore never giving it back to God. We've got to give our anger back to God. See, when we pray our anger, what we find is that our anger drives us to Jesus. When we don't pray our anger, we find that our anger drives us away from Jesus. This psalmist goes to God, and do you hear what he said? Look at what he says in verses 4 through 6. He goes, he goes, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And he's a musician. And so he says this, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget his skill. Right? He's a musician. He's going, may I forget how to play my instrument. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you. So remember, Lord. Lord. He cries out against the people 
He's angry not only about this Babylonian nation that has taken them, but he cries out against the people who were happy at their downfall. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where something bad happens to you and somebody's like all happy, happy, happy because of what had happened to you and how, how that almost hurts more than the injustice that was done to you. He's crying out against the Edomites and saying, and them too. Let it happen to them. They liked it so much. Let it drive you to God. Let your anger drive you in prayer to God in a new and profound way. Let it bring you to Jesus in a way that keeps you dependent and trusting in God. Because the alternative is to let it poison and embitter you and ruin you. So what's the first thing this psalmist does? The first thing is that he owns his anger. The second thing that he does is he prays it. And the, thir- the second thing he does is he prays in the second. The third one, the third thing he does is he limits his anger. He limits it. So when he says, remember, remember oftentimes when you see it in the Bible and it's referring to God and he says, remember God. He's not telling God, hey, God, you forgot something. Bring it back to memory. Let me paint the picture for you. He's not telling God to be, it's like, he's not saying like, um, oh, you are my people. Oh, some time has passed. I forgot that you were my people. Um, but now I remember now. Thanks for reminding me. It's not like that. When the psalmist is praying, remember, Lord, the psalmist is saying, act now. Whenever you see in the Bible, Lord, remember your people. He's saying, act now on behalf of your people. Remember what they've done to us. He goes, God, you pay them back. Don't you see? He's not saying, I'm going to pay them back. He says, God, you pay them back. Because God is powerful enough and able enough and willing enough to defend his people. That's why there's such a beautiful gift in the idea that God judges. This concept of God judging people is a wonderful gift. I know we've often looked at that as like something to be afraid of, but listen to me, listen to me. God really does judge. And because of that, we can trust them. Listen, listen. Most of the people who have harmed me the deepest in my life, I'll never be able to get them back. I'll never be able to give them what they gave me. I'll never be able to even the score. Never. And if I sit with that long enough, it can drive me crazy. But if I, in fact, can go to God and go, God, I can trust you because you're a God. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But there was a moment in my life where an adult invited me into a room and they locked and double locked the door and horrible, terrible, awful, soul-scarring things happened that day. Like, Like stuff that made me question my sexuality all my life. Awful, terrible. 
It's not right, God. It's not right that, they, that he gets away with that. It's not right that nobody... Um, I wasn't old enough to like call the police or even think of something like that. It's not right that he got away with this. It's not right that he's going to go to the grave in my mind's eye as an old person happy and relaxed over some of the things that he's done to me and probably not just to me, but others. It's not right. It's not just. And I'm angry about that. And then I bring that to the Lord and I'm reminded Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I go, hold up, God. You mean, I don't have to get him for him to be God. I don't have to even this score for him to have to pay for what he's done. All right, listen, I'm not going to be able to pay him back, but I tell you what, I can live with that. Because there's only two options at that point. At that point, listen, either that person has someone pay for his sins Jesus and the penalty that he would have received in Christ is the death penalty, which is what I think he deserves or he'll have to pay for it himself. But that does not go unnoticed. See, I can limit my anger. I don't have to take I don't have to take revenge on the people who have harmed me because there's a God of vengeance. There's a God of retribution. There's a God who sees my hurt and he's not like a, a neighbor who watches some kids beat your child up and just goes, oh, my goodness, stop. Somebody somebody call the police. But he's more like a mother who watches their child be jumped out the street and comes down with the bat and says, vengeance is mine. Uh, you will not get away with this. There's a power that is coming forth that you did not know. He can limit his anger because God's power is unlimited. See, God has the power to avenge those who have harmed me. The injustice, listen, this is why, this is why when we see injustices in the world, when we, when we march, when we, when we go against the injustices in the world, when we speak truth to power, we don't do it in a way that is godless. We go, oh no. God has raised me up to feel this way, and so I'm going to fight for the oppressed. I'm going to fight for the marginalized. I'm going to fight for those who have no voice or power. But I'm not going to think that I'm the only power that there is, and that if I don't see it, that it's not happening, because God is doing a work. He can limit. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, I will seize your infants. He doesn't say, I will tear it down. He doesn't say, I will repay you according to, he goes, remember, Lord. You, you take care of this. You make this right. You do justice. 